Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Is people have started saying, well, we shouldn't just be thinking about could we, but we should be thinking about should we. And I think if you bundle up fair and reasonable, if you bundle up privacy as a human right, if you bundle up potential rights to claim against companies, that should we question could be your North Star and your guiding light until we have actual legislation to live by. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor at the Australian Compliance Institute. And today with us from Holding Redlick, we have a general counsel, Lynn Nicholson. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Kwame. So today we're going to be talking a bit about privacy. And I know listeners to the podcast are probably thinking we haven't really spoken about privacy enough, um, especially all that's been happening and all that can happen. Um, but we're going to start off with a bit of introduction about yourself, Lynn, and Holden, Holding Red Lake. Uh, tell me a bit about your background and your role at Holding Red Lake. Okay, so I've been at Holding Red Lake for just over 16 years. My practice is in privacy and governance. I've actually been working in privacy since 1994, but uh, one couldn't make a living in 1994 if privacy was all you did. And a lot of that time has been in the credit reporting space, so financial services, and that's also involved quite a bit of fintech. So, you know, I think that I do really interesting work. I get to see interesting new products and my clients come up with interesting new questions for which there are um, complicated legal answers. So it's, I think it's great fun, but it, you know, it's every day is different and whatever you knew yesterday might not be good enough to answer the question tomorrow. So it's a constant challenge as well. No, excellent. I think anybody listening to this podcast will totally identify with that because I think the basis of our conversation at the beginning was the review of the Privacy Act and the fact that it's due for a bit of a bit of a shift. So, you know, again, the answers in the future might be a little bit different depending on what the final act, uh, the amendments to the act would look like. Uh, so I think one of the things that jumped out at, to me, the act and sort of featured in our conversation before this recording was that piece of the fair and reasonable test. So I think we'd start with a bit of definition. What what, is, what does that mean exactly? And what might that mean for privacy compliance? Okay, so it, it's really an uplift and, and it's a bit of a change in in the way privacy is approached. So if, if we go back in history, the way it's been approached is the consent model. You know, you read the terms and conditions, you read the privacy policy, it might take you half an hour to do that, and you as an individual decide if you want the services based on, on that privacy policy. That's not, we don't really have two equal bargaining parties there, so the consumer consent model is pretty broken. What's the baseline that organisations currently have about collecting personal information? It's whether they have a reasonable uh, need to collect it for their business purposes. And that really hasn't been tested and it's really been overused. So could I give you an example of what we do now and what we might do in the future and what that might mean? Yeah, sure. So a very simple one, and everyone listening to this will have had this experience. How many times have you signed up for a service maybe Dimmix Books, who were recently the subject of a breach, and they want to give you a promotion and a birthday present, so they ask you for your date of birth, day, month, year. 
do they need that to provide you with a promotional benefit in the month of your birthday every year? No. But the way we've gone in the past is businesses have said, well, I need to know so I can give that gift. And that's all that discount, that promotion. That has not been challenged. What happens, for example, in the EU under the general data protection regime is they have a bill of rights. Privacy is recognised as a human right. So organisations wouldn't go that far as to ask you for your birthday if they really didn't need it. So the fair and reasonable test, which is agreed in principle, so it's still a way away and still subject to some sort of consultation, is basically putting the onus on business to say, is it fair and is it reasonable that I collect and use this information. And I think the the birthday date, which is, you know, a big risk for identity theft for the purpose of giving a promotion doesn't meet fair and reasonable. And the proposal is uh, that there be guidelines set out around what's fair and reasonable and not wanting to sound too much like a lawyer, we have a lot of other laws where we talk about what is unfair conduct, for example, in the consumer law and under a number of the ASIC provisions. So there's quite a bit of law there to guide people which would say, yes, this really is an uplift in organisations saying, can we collect this? They need to take a few more steps. So it's, I think it's a good start and it's something that people can think about from a compliance perspective without waiting for the legislation to come because there's some pretty low bars you could already put in place and not be over-engineering your processes. Yeah, sure. I I guess what you're saying is that businesses probably should be questioning, you know, why are they collecting this in the first place? Yeah, and and look, the birthday date is just such a good example of so many organisations. And, and, you know, software companies build you a website and they just put in standard fields. No one thinks about what those fields are, whereas now people might need to, to revisit that. Yeah, sure. For the fair and reasonable test to work, I guess, and that's agreed to only in principle, um, I guess there's some kind of impact assessment on that activity. But what would that look like? Is there, I guess it would depend on the nature of the organisation, the size of the organisation, what information they're collecting. But is there some perennials or some things that are across all industry from an impact assessment perspective that organisations could be thinking about? Yeah, I I, I think that they can. And I, I think that one of the examples I could give as to how organisations can do it is Because of cybersecurity, we now, and modern slavery and other other acts, when you onboard a new supplier, you give them a supplier questionnaire, right? You you ask really hard questions about their, their internal processes. So all of that supply chain is happening. When you are creating a new product or service in an organization, that's when you need privacy impact assessment or the questionnaire to say, does this have privacy implications and and do we need to take account of that? And it also needs to be, and one of the things that can be done is it can be part of the supplier questionnaire as well. What, what, what are your third parties doing? Because 
The other issue that's come out of the mandatory notifiable data breach scheme is that a really high proportion of the breaches are not the organisation that suffers a breach, but one of its third party suppliers who didn't have good security practices and procedures. So in terms of uh, are there low hanging fruit that you can harvest, that sort of supplier onboarding and being a bit transparent about that, is there something that's disproportionately challenging? <sighs> I actually think the only people that are going to be disadvantaged are the people that, or the organisations that have possibly not been taking privacy seriously. So if we if we rewind to September 2022, yeah. you know the the which isn't that long ago, but the maximum fine then was just under $3 million for a breach of privacy. So a lot of organisations could say, low risk, I'll, I'll take the chance. Then we had Medibank and Optus breaches. And then in December 2022, the government increased the fines for breaches of privacy up to $50 million to bring them in line to the consumer law penalties. So, so that a lot of organisations that I'm aware of in after that change to the penalty regime thought, are we taking this seriously? Mm. And I think if there are any laggards that haven't said, are we actually giving time, budget and opportunity to our privacy risk, they're the ones that need to seriously think about doing something. Yeah, excellent. So I guess with those sort of big cases, you know, across the media for everyone to see, hopefully that does mean that there isn't a fight for the compliance professional or the risk professional to convince the the board and decision makers that this is a critical issue that needs to be prioritized look i i think i think that's that's right in part but a lot of b2b businesses say well i you know i'm not medibank i don't deal with end user individuals you know, I don't deal with end user individuals, but people have a lot of individuals on their books, even though employees are subject to the employee records exemption from the Privacy Act. A lot of people use third party outsourced services to deal with their employees. Mm. And if those were the subject of a breach, then the organisation would be liable for that. And that happened in, I think, 2017 in the page up um, recruitment breach. So there's, there are some organisations would be thinking, not me, but actually, yes, you are at risk. So you do need to start thinking. Yeah. So maybe in that B2B space uh, that we might have, there might be some trouble with the buy-in until we have maybe, unfortunately, maybe another breach to sort of wake everybody up. Yeah. I think, I think if someone takes action against a, a third party supplier and you see how it moves down the supply chain, we might see something then and and that's what's happening in the privacy space it's been very reactionary yeah well i guess we could sort of shift away from um the fair and reasonable test for a little bit and just sort of get a sense because you've been in this space for quite a while you've seen the technology evolve and the laws sort of i guess in a reactionary way sort of evolve to try to catch up um is there anything out of the privacy review that you saw that sort of caught your eye that you thought was interesting that organizations should be thinking about There is so much there. <laughs> there. There really is so much there, and I and what what I've said to to my clients is you you need to pick and choose. You actually need to to go through that that list and look at 
what is going to apply to you. And for those organisations that do deal with individuals directly, the two proposals that went towards giving individuals rights, like a, a statutory right, um, a statutory tort for invasion of privacy and also a right of direct action against a company. Well, just think what all the shareholder class actions have done to, to get companies to improve their corporate compliance. So those two things are on the horizon. And if you do deal with end users, the interesting thing is, well, even if the fines don't scare you, does the, the threat of a class action scare you? Sure, so I mean, if Focus is the mind. Yeah, if nothing else, it's a reputational risk um, situation. Well, you know, it, that reputational risk piece is really interesting and would be interesting to see how Optus plays out. But you might remember back in 2016, Equifax in the US, the credit reporting company had the world, at the time, the world's biggest breach. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars in remediation. Their share price price plummeted uh, 25%, but within six months, it had rec fully recovered. So I just don't know where that's, where that's going, unless your competitors step out in front and use privacy as a, as a unique selling point and as a, a point of reference. Uh, come to the end of the podcast, really. It's never enough time, but I, I guess, do you have any Words of wisdom, any bits of advice, not official legal advice, of course, just uh, anything for our listeners, risk and compliance professionals who are thinking about the privacy space, you know, probably thinking about the, the, the privacy review and what it might look like and some of the things they could start looking to implement on a voluntary basis. Yeah, look, I, I think there is. And I think we we are hearing in a range of different places uh the mantra community expectations. And I think that is what is happening here is that these proposals are really just mirroring community expectations. And I think that um, all senior leadership teams and boards have their ears open to those magical words. And the other two well, the other magical question uh, that people are attuned to at the moment, which I think is is a really useful lens to frame it through, is people have started saying, well, we shouldn't just be thinking about could we, but we should be thinking about should we. And I think if you bundle up fair and reasonable, if you bundle up privacy as a human right, if you bundle up potential rights to claim against companies, that should we question could be your North Star and your guiding light until we have actual legislation to live by. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lynn, for being on the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure. This podcast has been a production of the Australian Compliance Institute and the music was done by Rob Neary.